Welcome to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we help online coaches learn how to elevate their brand, become the experts in their industries, so they can bring in more clients and create a life they want. I am your host, Chris Anderson. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others, share this episode, go over to Apple Podcasts and follow us there to leave a positive rating and review. And together we can leave a bigger positive mark on the world. We have another great guest that's going to bring a lot of good insight and direction for you to take away. And this one specifically implement into growing your businesses, especially if it's B2B. And so we're excited for this episode, excited to have Michael Haynes on the show today. He's an SMB business growth specialist. And we're just going to really pick his brain and get a lot of good stuff out of it today. So, Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to just dive into all this and what we need to do to grow B2B service-based type businesses. But first, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, high level, and what got you doing what you're doing. Sure, Chris. As you said, I'm an SME advisor. So my focus and passion is working with startups business owners of small and medium organizations, and how they can build and grow their businesses to acquire and retain those business clients. So we're using a combination of strategic marketing, business innovation, and B2B sales, because it's really those three key components, Chris, is what's necessary to build and thrive a successful business in the world of B2B. For sure. So and we're looking to dive into that. So when you started, did you ultimately know you wanted to work with B2B or did it kind of just kind of happen, you know, fall into place? A little bit of both, Chris. So early in my career, I started off working in big corporates, worked in a large organizations. I worked in banks, did some management consulting as well. And then eventually while moving over to a telecommunications company, one of the larger ones here in Australia. And that's where I took my final a corporate role as manager of customer research and analysis. And that's where I got into the B2B space really having to understand business customers and developing, you know, marketing product and sales strategies to win and grow those business customers. Really enjoyed that space, saw a bit of a niche and need for that space, but particularly for small and medium business owners. And Chris, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My sister has her own law practice. My cousin, she has her own business doing a property redevelopment. Her husband has a construction business. So I've always been surrounded by entrepreneurs and always wanted to do my own thing with my true people, being entrepreneurs. So after getting that great years of experience of learning what the world would be to be in big corporate, I decided to say thanks, no thanks to the senior exec promo. Let me go and work with my peeps and really add value. Where can truly think I can make an impact in helping entrepreneurs to thrive? Because B2B presents so many opportunities for entrepreneurs if they know some of the nuances and how to navigate the world of B2B. Perfect. No, we're going to dive into that for sure. Just head first. So with B2B, like what are those nuances that, you know, you've got to think about when you're starting out in that market? Great question, Chris. So people often think about, you know, having to understand their customers. So in B2B, you need to understand the customer. So let's say you're an IT company and you want to get into the IT division of American Airlines. It's not enough to understand American Airlines as a customer organization We need to understand who are those decision makers within, let's say, the IT unit within American Airlines that you're going to be selling to. So we need to understand those key people. So the decision makers, the roles and titles of those who make the decision, as well as those who are going to influence those key decision makers, the ones that might provide the shortlist of IT companies, who are going to give the recommendations and their opinions on which IT firms should be shortlisted for that big project. So we have to get to a buyer level at the end of the day and understand the priorities, challenges, needs, 
and buying behaviors of those who make the decisions because mm-hmm. that really defines what you need to be doing. So how do you, would you guide people to start figuring that out? If they're like, you know, yeah, I want to do B2B. Where do we start with that? Great question, Chris. And unfortunately, you know, there's no easy silver bullet. You need to do some research. You need to spend time on the old computer and doing some research. A good place to often start, Chris, is with your industry and professional associations of your target companies, because those industry and professional associations, Chris, are often the big hub of where all the great information is kept, because they'll have their publication newsletters. They have the white papers or doing events. They have the webinars. So it's a great place where you can find out a lot about the industry, key market uh, challenges and dynamics, who are the key companies and who are some of the key individuals in those companies. So industry and professional associations going on those websites, doing some research there is a fantastic place to start. LinkedIn is also highly useful, Chris, in terms of you'll have the company pages on LinkedIn where you can do a lot of research, tells you about the company, what they're focusing on, what they're doing. But then, as I'm sure you're aware, but others may not, on each company page, there'll be a link to employees where it'll pull up the roles and titles. And so you can click onto those titles of those respective individuals to really learn more about their background, from what perspective they're coming to, what are they focusing on. So this kind of research that you're going to need to spend time doing so you have an understanding of the organization, the customer organization, but also to help you identify those decision makers and influencers which constitute the buying group. And that's whom you have to focus your marketing and sales efforts with. For sure. Yeah, I think it's crucial in B2B to really figure out who's making the decision because you could get you could get in front of someone else who doesn't make the decision and you're just you know, delaying the process. And sometimes, you know, you have to go through the gatekeepers and things like that, but you still got to find the right gatekeeper to get to the decision maker. So with that, like, how do you know for sure who that gatekeeper is and how can you get time in front of them? Okay. So a couple of things. One, it's going to be about doing research and that might be online research, going to events and Chris, building your contacts. You know, we do say your network is your net worth. And it is so true because it's many of your contacts can give you some insights as to, okay, so who going back to my little airline, uh, American Airlines example in the IT department, they can give you an understanding of who are the key people you need to talk to. So they may be able to give you some insights about those people. Sometimes they can also be useful for getting those introductions to those people. With respect to getting that first meeting, you know, getting on the radar, that is where you really have to understand the company, understand that business leader, what are their objectives. And often it's about providing insight. So can you provide some value based on some of the priorities and outcomes that they're seeking? So you might send them, you know, a white paper around something that's going on, a key development. You may have some video that you've done that may have some relevant insights as well. So often using an insights approach, very targeted and relevant to what they are doing, and then doing the outreach to that individual. And you may need to use a variety of channels. You might use it through the old postal mail. Postal mail can be very effective when you send an article or a book and you reference specific sections and you put the handwritten note. I've used that myself, Chris. Great way to get on to the radar of people. Phone, sending video as well. So you may need to use multiple tries, but again, it's always about being value insight driven, really tailored to their requirements. With enough persistence, you will eventually break through and be able to get that initial discussion. Yeah, I think that's a crucial thing to remember 
in any, but especially B2B is the persistence, the persistency that you have to have. Like it's not going to just be the first knock at the door and you're going to get let in and you're going to have to continue to add value to them because they're busy people. I mean, you got to think the right, the people you're trying to reach in B2B, they're super busy and they have a lot on their plate already. And they're probably getting just all these messages thrown at them. So to be able to stand out amongst the sea of messages is crucial. And I think that's how you said using in the rec- regular mail, postal mail can really help you stand out. Yes. Just to add to that, a couple things. One, you want to be trying multiple channels. So it could be postal mail, email, LinkedIn, voice message, video, and just a couple quick stats to keep in mind. Uh, Rain Group, which is a big sales academy that does a lot of studies in B2B space, and they examine the performance of top, you know, your top 10% sales performers, they take on an average of five touch points to get through to someone. The rest of us are on average eight to nine. So you want to keep that in mind. If the top, you know, end of town, the, the B2B sales gurus need at least five, we're going to need on average at least eight to nine. So almost double. So that's just to go to show you one or two, even three touches is generally not going to cut it, particularly when you're going into mid-market and large organizations. So just to keep that uh, five and nine numbers in the back of your head when you're getting a little frustrated with a continual outreach and you're not getting the responses back, you want to remember that those stats of five and nine just to let you know how many you have to do. Yeah, definitely takes more time, more knocks at that door to get in there. And so say, you know, we've done those eight to nine touches and we finally we get that meeting we get in front of you know that decision maker how do we not screw it up <laughs> how do you not screw it up you need to be prepared so you want to be prepared you know having a fair idea as to what's going on in their organization as to what keeps them up at night you should have a pretty good idea of what those that issue or issues are and then it's about going in and having that first discussion and there should be a lot more listening than talking because it's going to be about building connection and rapport with that particular individual. It's really finding out and unpacking what's going on with the organization. What are they trying to achieve? Trying to determine what is the impact if they don't undertake and take action as well. So that cost of inaction. So you can kind of understand and create what is that potential gap. So a lot of it will be, you know, preparation to a few points you want to guide the discussion, but it's very much around doing a lot of listening to really understand where they're at, what they're trying to achieve, what are the impacts if they don't achieve it, any potential barriers, objections that are making them hesitant, and then trying to figure out how to work through those. It may take a couple meetings as well in order to progress. Some people think, you know, a sale can be done all at once. Quite often, it can take multiple discussions. Uh, often because you need to get other people involved in the discussions because, again, with B2B, multiple people are involved in the decision-making. So even if you're a micro-business and you're selling into another organization, which is also a small organization, and they've got that advisor that they like to rely upon, then no, you need to wait and have another meeting with that advisor that second year because you always want to get those people in the room, Chris, so that you can have discussions with them and hear from their perspective as well. Are these goals that we're talking about the right ones? Are these outcomes that we're looking to achieve? Because I've had experiences where I've gone into meetings selling to another SME, very small company, only two decision makers. Happened a couple of months ago with a law firm and the two decision makers were on complete opposite of the spectrum. The meeting was a rather short one because they decided that, "Mm, okay, we need to revisit this on our own. They weren't aligned. They weren't aligned in terms of goals as opposed to proposed approach. 
And so you want to be making sure there is that alignment and that everyone's on the same page. They're getting the same story from mm. you as well. So yeah. that's quite important. Yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, because you got to get all the right players involved when it comes to that. And it can feel more monotonous and tedious. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you can do it right and structure those and get the right people in there, it's just going to be better overall. It's like you go see a movie by yourself or with friends and then you come home and you try to explain it to your spouse or your significant other or another friend. They're like, you know, it's not the same as yeah. being there. So if they were to go try to explain it to that individual, it's not going to have the same effect. They're going to miss things or the emotions won't be there. So I think that's definitely an important piece is make sure everyone's in there for the final say kind of things. Some people might be wondering, like, how can we structure our approach? And like, are there special, obviously listening, understanding, like you said, what they need, what are the outcomes if they don't get this need met? other kind of tips and guidance you can give to besides researching to come prepared personally to these meetings? Sure. One other point I want to touch on, Chris, is let's talk a little bit about marketing. Um, yeah, as well. The reason I want to talk a bit about marketing is that one of the things we need to recognize that when we're selling into B2B, a key characteristic of your business buyer, the B2B buyer, as we often call them, is they do a lot of independent self-research and education. So really, the goal of your marketing needs to be providing your target buyers with the right kinds of information, tools, advice, and content that they use in their decision making. And why that research around the buyer is so important. Because we need to know the roles and title, what's important to them, but how do they buy? Do they typically like to look at case studies, testimonials, white papers, third-party reviews? Are they going to certain events? Are they listening to certain podcasts? Are they involved in certain industry and professional associations? Because the goal of your marketing activities is to create the right kinds of content, those white papers, tools, providing free trials, testimonials, but making it available where they seek for information. So your website will likely be one, but you might be wanting to put a publication in the Industry and Professional Association magazine. You may want to attend one of the industry association breakfasts. You might get involved in an online community. We need to make sure that the information is visible there because even once they hear about you, Chris, that buyer is going to want to do their research. They may talk to their colleagues, read your white paper, check out some things online. They will undertake a number of activities. Often it's around three to five sources that they will use. So it's about really enabling those buyers so that they can do their own research getting to understand you so that when they come to those meetings, they're coming quite informed and you're also going to be ready to kind of continue and take that conversation from that point onwards from the content that was made available out there. So it's very important to understand that your marketing is really about enabling buyers with those information tools, advice, access to people as well. For sure. No, that makes a lot of sense because people take in data information differently. So if you can have the right types out there for them, it just kind of eases their mind and because it allows them to understand and take it in in a way that's good for them. So no, that's really good. And, and with that though, kind of on the flip side, what are some stumbling blocks, some areas that might make it hard for people trying to start B2B businesses? What might they find along the way that you've seen? Stumbling blocks. Going after very, very large organizations first can be somewhat challenging. My recommendation is often to start smaller with your you know, fellow small, medium-sized businesses 
which can still get fairly medium sized, can still get fairly large, and they're they can still make very attractive clients and customers. But by starting with your small and medium sized organization, you will be able to start learning some of the processes of what you need to be doing in terms of okay, creating the right kinds of content, which we often call content marketing, creating the right kinds of content tools and assets that we need to provide to enable buyers. You'll start getting used to conducting some of those meetings, that whole sales process of doing the outreach, using inside approaches, conducting some of those sales discovery meetings, which could be multiple meetings, getting used to working with your client in those meetings to create that mutual action plan as to how you're going to move forward and how they work with you. So starting with smaller organizations where there's less complex structures, often less buying participants is a good way to start to really gain the momentum and understand, okay, this is how all it works. What do we need to be providing from a service and support perspective, Chris? Service and support is critical when you're dealing with business customers because what you deliver to them has significant impacts to how their business performs. So making sure, okay, do we have our processes and systems right for onboarding, training, handling issues and problems and complaints, making sure that's all really dialed in. So I would say starting small with smaller, then you can start to scale up is a better way to go because large mid-market, large corporates are very, very complex. Yeah, I can imagine just as they grow the different complexities that you'd have to deal with with that. Trying to think from someone starting a B2B, what are some big roadblocks personally that they might have to get through to improve and become successful in that industry? B2B will always vary by the different industries. That's just something else I just want to point out because B2B, it's all about when you're selling to any business. So if you're a catering company and you're selling into offices, that's B2B. So specific roadblocks can vary. Some common elements though, just to give folks some tips, when you're dealing with executive assistants, you've got to treat executive assistants like VIPs and CEOs themselves. They can be your biggest friend or they can be your worst enemy. Because they know their boss, they know that senior leader, that senior manager, senior exec. And so you want to treat them with a lot of respect, treat them very well, look after them because they can free up diaries. They can make things happen. In my own personal experience, I've had EAs who were senior leaders. Oh, Michael, that person is very busy. But oh, so good to talk to you again, Michael. Actually, you know what? Can you come in at 8 a.m.? I'm going to make it so that you'll meet him at 8 a.m. at the coffee shop near the train station around the corner. You've got 20 minutes with them. So they have the power and the ability to make those kinds of things happen, of freeing up diaries when diaries are blocked. So it's very important that you really treat the executive assistant as well, because they also have a lot of tips in terms of, I've had ones that give me heads up, oh, you know, you really shouldn't invite And Sam to that meeting as well. Yeah, you probably should, you know, just a tip. So building a rapport with them, they can really make things Let's dive into that. I like that. That's a really good point with that, with executive assistants. So if we're in the B2B, how can we, you know, really take care of the executive assistants? Like, what are you allowed to do? What's a good practice to do to really build that relationship, that rapport with them? Well, from my personal experience, just being friendly, cordial, as you would with anyone else, you listen when they talk. And if they tell you about something, oh, Michael, last week, you know, we went over to New Zealand for my cousin's wedding. Next time to talk to them, so how was Sarah's wedding? Oh, thanks for asking Michael. It's just doing those things. It's those little things that, you know, you're having conversations and you, you pick up on interest and you comment on those kinds of things. 
always being really polite and helpful. You might send them a Christmas card, potentially, you know, Christmas card, birthday card. So it's not about crossing the line. It's really just about taking interest. When you remember things and you can bring something up, particularly from a personal nature, they love that when you remember what's happened. And that really just brings a strong rapport that it can really, Chris, I cannot tell you, emphasize enough, because from my own experience, it has helped me on many occasions. Yeah. Making sure those calls are returned. And it's just about taking interest, being polite, and remembering those little things about the EA has three grandchildren, or they're a massive ABBA fan, and you quote on certain things, oh, did you see the ABBA lunch? Oh, Michael, yes, that was so good. It really just makes a world of difference in building that rapport. So with that, with building that rapport by listening and like really listening and what they say and remembering, you say they're ABBA fans. And if they're ABBA fans, is it crossing the line to send them tickets to an ABBA concert? Is that crossing the line from your perspective? If it's not for anything, if it's just, hey, I thought of you, I got these, we can't go, I sent them to you. Chris, I've never done that. I've sent Christmas cards to a couple of EAs. I've never actually done that. I've pretty much just kept it really around because I'm pretty good at remembering things people tell me around their personal interests and that's kind of making references to that. I don't think there would anything that's be necessarily wrong with that, but I keep it very much to the discussion and then the references to what they've done and, you know, if they've gone on vacation, oh, how was it? And remembering where they went or who they went with. I can remember some of those smaller, minor details. People quite like, oh, Michael, remember that I mentioned that I like that particular episode. Oh, that's really cool. I find just doing those small things in and of itself really just go a long way because you take the time because it's not done that often. Most people just want to know, is Chris available? When can I get a meeting with Chris? Oh, come on. Can I get a meeting? There's no personal element. It's very rare. So when you do take the time and, and I'm not talking about spending a lot of time, but just, you know, commenting, oh, so how was that dinner last week? Or, you know, how's your mom doing? Those personal things, just a couple of things can make all the difference because they remember that you've taken the time to treat them like a person as opposed to you're a gatekeeper to the person that I need to see to that C-level person because yeah. I need this deal. Like you're they, a step, I'm just going to step on you and just yes. get past you. I got you. Okay. I was just curious because I know, you know, I've talked to a couple of executives and they say you have to be careful with sending gifts because with bribery is an issue and so making sure you're doing it in a way that's like a legitimate, like, thank you for your time type thing. So I was just curious just from your perspective on that one. But yeah, I think it's huge. Just really, I mean, it's not rocket science necessarily. It's just treat people like a human being and care about them. And good things happen when you do that, I think, regardless. So what's a big challenge? I mean, with when you work with these clients, you know, these even the small and medium sized ones, I know you mentioned your service to them and your communication to them are, are big. Are there any other kind of important things to know when you're working with these type of clients? Again, I would say it's important of making sure you're aware of all the decision makers who are involved and try to get them involved in the discussions from early on because it's about getting their buy-in. It's not just about taking the box. I think you want to get their buy-in. So it's very important where you can to have them involved in the discussions because really those sales meetings should really be discussions about working collaboratively, like working in partnership. And so you really want to take it from the perspective of how can we work together? I talk a lot about creating the mutual action plans so when we're having discussions and options of how we're going to work together, really doing it in a collaborative way and trying to get their inputs. Even setting an agenda for meeting. Okay, so today's meeting, I thought we'll talk about X, Y, and Z. 
what um, you know, does this work from your perspective? What are other elements that you'd like to talk about in this discussion? So really working collaboratively, I think quite important. On Watch Out, Chris, I will point out, particularly if you're starting to sound to larger organizations that have the vendor department, the procurement department, you don't want to get steered in those directions because you know, those procurement departments, they are not decision makers. They are just departments that do the final ticks to make sure, okay, are we going to bring Michael on board to do this strategic piece of work? And, you know, do we have the compliance memo? Have they signed off on X, Y, Z? They're not decision makers. So any time you get steered towards procurement, you really need to do more research and be looking to how you target to get into the actual decision makers. Because procurement departments, inventory departments are not decision makers. They just kind of do the final check off. You need to be having those key meetings with those decision makers and influencers. So again, that's why your research, doing your outreach, leveraging your network who might be able to do warm referrals or help you navigate the organization is particularly important. Mm, Yeah, that's good. And I think too, when you're in there and I'd like to just with this point, we want to provide the best service. Obviously, if you're a B2B, you want to provide the best service. And because some of these companies, these CEOs, whatever, could be great referrals for more business. So as a B2B service company, how can they go above and beyond without overstretching themselves to really provide that great experience for these clients that they work with? Have you had any personally that you've done or you've seen like this company did this, which was above and beyond, you know, what was expected and really blew people out of the water? Chris, I would say in terms of dealing with your B2B companies, uh, what you want to be making sure of is always be keeping in mind what are the needs of the decision maker. Because remember in B2B, those that make the decision may not necessarily be the ones involved with using your particular product or services. And that becomes quite relevant when you're dealing with medium and larger organizations. And that's where things can kind of go wrong in the sense that you've won that bigger client. So you've won, yeah, the project in American Airlines. Now we're going to focus on our direct customers, the users of American Airlines. We're just going to focus on the project managers and the analysts. Okay, but what about the needs of those decision makers? You still want to have them on your radar. And so as you see, let's say, relevant publications coming out as to, let's say, you know, changes in IT requirements in terms of security and privacy and what it's going to mean for large organizations, you still want to be sending them those articles and highlighting, oh, Mr. or Miss Decision Maker, this is what it could mean for you. Thought I'd send this to you. So keeping in mind of what are their issues and priorities and how you can add value to them by sending them an article, a link to an upcoming event, webinar, those kinds of things will be very important because when it comes time for renewal, when it's time for cross-sell or upsell, those decision makers will say, hey, and those guys working on that project in the IT department, I think we need to have a meeting with them because we're looking to do X and Y. Because if you don't do that, and if you are not keeping on the pulse of what's important to the decision makers of you know what's going on in the boardroom, you can miss out when it comes time for renewals, cross-sells or upsells, because they may not be aware of the potential value that you can add. So always making sure that you are still, you know, doesn't have to be a lot or all the time, but you're still being on the pulse of what's important to the decision makers. Because again, what is going on in the boardroom and what they're concerned about can be different from when you're dealing at the cold face and you're dealing with the use at the user level with product managers, analysts, customer service reps. We have to service and deliver to them quite well because a lot of them can be influencers and have the ear to senior management. But we must be mindful of the decision makers. What are their problems, priorities and outcomes and how we can add insight and value to them? 
that's quite critical so that you stay on the radar, you continue to add value, and that you'll get the seat at the table for renewals, cross-sells, up-sells. They may even want to be advocates for you for a really great company and speak on your behalf. And that can have a tremendous impact in terms of the business growth for your organization as well. For sure. No, absolutely. Great insight there and direction with it all. And this just been a really good conversation and helpful for those who are starting out in B2B and what they need to look for and what they need to focus on and how to kind of get in the door and situation. So I appreciate that. So episode wrapping up here, you know, Pencil Leadership is all about improving ourselves personally and professionally. And you've talked to the professional side, but the fifth trait is that we're all created uniquely with a purpose and potential to leave a positive mark on the world. And so with that being said, when everything is said and done for you here on earth, what do you hope your mark is? Great question, Chris. I think my impact, what I'd like it to be, is about empowerment, empowering, aspiring entrepreneurs, inspiring leaders to how they can build and grow and build those businesses and lives that they seek. So that's very much my big theme of is to really empower. That's awesome. I always enjoy hearing people's reasons and it just is uh, motivating me because, you know, so many people wanted to do good out there and for me to be connected to you all through this show has been amazing. So I appreciate you sharing everything so far on the show, Michael, and, and sharing that vision of why you do what you do. So where can people find you and connect with you to, you know, just be connected, learn more from you and maybe seek your help? Uh, sure. So two places. One, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. And I'm regularly putting out various kinds of content, tips and insights of what a small and medium sized business owners need to do to succeed in the world of B2B. And then the second place is my website, listeninnovategrow.com. So that's listeninnovategrow, all one word, dot com. There you'll find the whole repository of articles, blogs, podcast interviews, tools, tips on how you can succeed in the world of B2B. And of course, you can connect with me there as well. Awesome. Yeah. So everyone, make sure you connect with them, especially if you're looking to get into B or you're already there. So you can continue to learn, grow, and just become better. But again, Michael, I appreciate you being on. Thank you for having me. It was great fun. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well.